I just, I just felt like today might be better with bumper music. And, you know, all you old Pink Floyd fans, I hope you've repented by now. Right? I know I have. All right, so as you've surmised uh, this morning, we're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about money because God put it on my heart to begin the year talking about money. Um, the way I know it's God is I, I don't like to talk about money at, at church. It always feels a little awkward, like I'm just working up to an offering or, you know, the next thing you're going to hear is that we're building a new wing. Um, and that's really not it. Uh, it it's, a, it's a biblical concept. Uh, the Bible talks about money a lot, and so occasionally we should. We don't real often, but for the next two or three weeks, we're going to do a little series on money because that's where I felt like God was. And the other reason I, I often don't like to talk about it is because I feel like it's pretty straightforward. And, you know, you just read it and go, yeah, that's what God says to do with money. But just in case it isn't, uh, sometimes I, I overestimate that. Um, we'll go ahead and learn some stuff about money. Now, for some of you guys who are, a lot of this you guys will already know. But if you're young here especially, pay attention. There's good stuff here that will help you uh, to, uh, you know, be able to afford a wife and kids and stuff. Right. How many of you will testify that, you know, they're often not cheap? Right? Okay, then. Right. It's a good point. Some of you wives, yeah, underestimated what you would need to purchase a husband. Um, at any rate, we are where we are. And so where I want to begin, and you can follow along with your notes if you uh, feel like it, um, where I want to begin is just the concept that money is a tool. It's a tool. It's just a tool. Sometimes people think money is evil. Sometimes people think money is wonderful. It's just a tool. And uh, like any other tool, it's, it's important that we know how to use it. And uh, probably more important because I don't know of any more powerful tool than money. You can literally change governments with money. Uh, it's very powerful. And uh, the more powerful a tool is, the more dangerous it is. And so it's important that we know uh, how to use it correctly and, uh, and how to have the correct attitude. And really that's mostly what I'm going to be getting at this morning is when we are dealing with money, we have to have the correct attitude. If we have the wrong attitude, if we don't get it, uh, then we'll be in trouble. And it's easy to get in trouble with money. Um, it, probably all of us have done that in one way or another. That's how we learn. We make mistakes and go oops and learn, right? And money is one of those things it's easy to do with. So I want to start by saying there are two dangers that go with money. The first is not having enough money, and the second is having too much money. All right, we're going to see this in just a minute in Scripture, but the point is, uh, what's enough? You say, okay, pastor, it's dangerous to not have enough money. It's dangerous to have too much money. Uh, where's the sweet spot? What's enough? Well, 
uh, there isn't a number because the amount depends on your heart and your attitude. Literally, uh, how much wealth or poverty can you handle? Can your heart and your attitude handle? And so that's why we're going to not worry so much about how much money you have, but about the attitude that you have towards it so that uh, hopefully you can have more. I'd like you all to have more money. Anybody? Oh, yeah, good, okay. But you've got to be able to handle it. So in uh, Proverbs 30, that's where Agar, however you say that, I think it's Agar, takes over and uh, starts, and he does that whole chapter. And he says this in verses 8 and 9. He says, remove falsehood and lies far from me. Now, I want you to catch that uh, the context he's speaking in here is believing a lie. And he's going to talk about two dangers or two lies. Uh, Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So he's concerned uh, that if he has too much money or too little money, he will believe a lie. That he will, uh, if he has too little money, that he will compromise and profane God's name. If he has too much money, that he'll uh, be uh, content and deny the Lord and just lean on himself. Those are his concerns. And so he says, I don't want either of those things. I'd rather just have what I need than have those. So we want to look at these two lies. There are two lies uh, that we can believe against God regarding money, and they're very related. The first lie is this. And as we go through this, most of us are not going to fall for the big picture overt lie. In other words, most of us will answer the question correctly. But we will fall for it in little ways in our actions, in small compromises and things like that. So I want you to pay attention to that in your own heart as we're going through this. So two lies. The first lie is that we must provide for ourselves. If you had, you know, this is the speech that Grandpa gives you, you know, about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and walking to school both ways uphill in the snow in Florida You know, all that stuff. So if we believe the lie that we must provide for ourselves, where it will lead us is we'll begin to compromise. Like Agar said, I'm afraid I'll steal. We'll do what we need to do to provide for ourselves. And we'll end up in compromise and idolatry, or in other words, in putting things before God. Yeah, 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 I know I need to do the Bible, but I, but you know, I got to pay the bills. I got to get it done. I got to, and the next thing you know, uh, we're doing things to take care of business instead of doing business with God. And so this is the concern that we have here in this first lie that we must provide for ourselves. That it's all on us. In First Timothy, chapter six, there's actually a couple more verses where Tim, uh, Paul's talking to Timothy about money. Here we'll get to the uh, verses. Uh, 6 through 8 in a minute, but I want to look at 9 and 10 first. In 9 and 10, he says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, in the snare, into many foolish and harmful lusts, 
which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So you see what's going on here is Paul saying, Timothy, remember, uh, tell them if they get to where they're really leaning into taking care of themselves, they're loving money, they're looking at money as their security. What's going to happen in that desire to be rich is there's going to be all kinds of temptations that come with that money that they're not going to be able to resist. They're going to, uh, they're going to be lusts reintroduced into their life that they're not going to be able to resist. And because they love money, it's going to make a hook for the root of all kinds of evil things, and they're going to end up straying from the faith and piercing themselves with sorrows. Now, contrast that with Proverbs chapter 10, verses 22. Anybody know this one? The blessings of the Lord make one rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. Does God have a problem with you being rich? No. You just want to make sure it's the blessings of the Lord and not the love of money. Because the love of money, your wealth comes with sorrow. The blessings of the Lord, your wealth comes with no sorrow. Right? But the blessing of the Lord, you can't do that yourself. The, the very nature of it is it comes from God. And so you can't be believing a lie that you must provide for yourself and really receive your wealth as the blessing from the Lord. Right? You understand what I'm saying? So this is the concern here. Let me give you a, a, a story that, uh, that illustrates this so uh, you understand what I'm talking about when I, when I talk about how this will lead us to compromise and things like that. Um, we, Rachel and I had a friend, and uh, through circumstances beyond his control, uh, got in a place where he was going to lose his house. This was many years ago. And we loaned him enough money. It was a big chunk of money. It was thousands of dollars. Uh, and we, we used the equity in our house for a line of credit to loan him enough money so he didn't lose his house. And he was going to pay it back. Well, it became clear a few years later he was not going to be able to pay it back. Circumstances had gotten worse, not better. Again, through no fault of his own. And so we're talking about it, and it took me seconds to come to a decision on this. Now, this was a lot of money, and uh, it wasn't extra money. Uh, this, you know, I mean, we could handle it, but uh, we could really use the money. And I said, well, it's simple. The principle's simple. Uh, I'm not losing a friendship over money. Friendships are more important than money. The number doesn't change that. It doesn't matter how many thousands it is. We just have to eat it. We have to forgive it. And so we did. It was a simple decision because uh, my, my heart wasn't in the money. My heart was in the relationship. You understand? And so that's the decision Rachel and I made that uh, we would uh, just forgive it and move on. Uh, my point is, it would have been easy at that point to compromise and go, how do we find a way to get this person to and it would have been awkward, and, you know, it would have been hard to be friends and all that stuff. But because we had settled in our hearts what was important, and it wasn't money, we were able to easily make the right decision, okay? Now, um, 
The point in this is what I said in the beginning, that money is a tool and we cannot allow it to rule over us. If I had allowed money to rule over us, we'd have made the wrong decision at that point. You understand? That's what I'm trying to illustrate. It's, we'll say the right things, but when push comes to shove, the rubber hits the road, we all have to make decisions like this and go, are we going to make a monetary decision or a biblical decision? Right? Now, incidentally, speaking of the blessings of the Lord that come with no sorrow, when we bought our house some years later, the people who sold us the house basically gave us about five times the amount we ate in equity. Bam. Blessings of the Lord, no sorrow. Much happy. <laughs> you get it? Now, I just realized it's out of order, but it'll still work. I skipped a point I wanted to make, but we'll just make it here right in the beginning of the notes. Um, I said that uh, we're talking about our attitude with money. That was an illustration of my attitude and Rachel's attitude as we were, as we were dealing with that situation, with real-life you know, money things. And... Uh, Here's why this is important. It's important because right now, uh, things are happening and our, our nation is in fear, a lot of it because of uh, monetary stuff. Our, our government is making foolish decisions, um, which, you know, go figure. Uh, it's <laughs> but it's impacting us financially, isn't it? And so, I'm telling you, it's going to increase the temptation to compromise the way we view the Lord's provision, especially when things get tight, right? So not only that, it's going to be a bigger deal as we move into the end times, whenever that is. And I realize, you know, we're in the end times, but yet there's a place where it's really the end times. Uh, at any point, um, this could happen. But here's what I want you to see. Uh, this is going to be, this attitude, the correct attitude towards money is going to be huge for navigating the end times. I'll show you why. In Ezekiel, I wrote it down, chapter 28, there's a section there where uh, it's clearly uh, talking about Satan. It talks about him as the covering cherub, and he had all these instruments, and he led worship, and he, uh, he had jewels and stuff. He was real purdy. And um, he was the covering cherub until iniquity was found in him. And there's this interesting verse, verse 28, uh, chapter 28, verse 16, where it says that he became corrupt and violent because of his excessive trading. Now, I still feel like there's a mystery there. I'm like, I don't totally get this, that Satan is really into trading. But then I look at, you know, the stock market, and I go, yeah, it looks like something he'd enjoy, doesn't it? Uh, but there's something about him that's into trading. And I got to thinking about this, and I thought, well, I know the city, Babylon, in Revelation 18, the city that all the world gets wealthy on and gets judged in the last days. And I go, there's a whole paragraph in there on all the things they trade in. Ends with the bodies and souls of men. That city is clearly all about trading. And it's clearly the city most identified with, you know, satanic uh, activity, right? And then, of course, you got Revelation 13, 17, 
where if you don't have the mark of the beast, you can't what? Buy or sell or trade. Can't participate in the economy. Now, by the way, in case you're worried about this, it doesn't mean, you know, hey, oops, I got in the wrong line and now I got a barcode on my hand. I guess I'm going to hell. Uh, that's not how it works. The mark of the beast is a voluntary, uh, I'm going to worship this antichrist. I'm going to worship this guy. I think this guy's the guy. Sign me up. I want to worship him. Bam. That's the mark. You're not going to just accidentally get it because you went with the wrong phone company. So don't worry about that. But, yeah. But, but because we don't, what's he going to do? He's going to restrict trade. You don't get to participate in my economy. I'm telling you, these principles are going to become more and more important as darkness increases in the earth. We, it doesn't mean we're not going to have money or things. I don't know how it's going to work. God will take care of us. But we need to understand the right principles. Okay, so let's go on. The second lie, the first lie is we must provide for ourselves. That's not true. The second lie, we have provided for ourselves. Also not true. Obviously, this one will lead to pride and independence. I look at how much I got. I took care of everything. And who needs God? I got enough money. Uh, you know the old saying, he's richer than God. Probably so, because God doesn't even have money. He doesn't need it. <laughs> he, just, he has everything. All right. Anyway, um, we see this really clearly in Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm going to read 11 through 14, then skip down to uh, 17 through 18. Um, and by the way, this is a clear warning to the nation of Israel, which they will ignore repeatedly over the next several hundred years. Do not think we're necessarily any better. Uh, we can easily ignore this warning as well. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Remember, he's the one that set you free and gave you all this. Don't forget. And they do, repeatedly, don't they? Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you, oops, I lost my, here we go. Uh, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is to this day. So, pretty straightforward, isn't it? You're going to get rich. It, how many of you found it's harder to uh, walk with God sometimes in, in, in discipline and in passion when you're blessed than when you're oppressed? Yeah tend to kick back when we're blessed, don't we? Israel did that. And so he's saying, you're going to get rich, and you're going to forget me, and you're going to think you did it yourself. You're going to think it's because you guys are awesome, not because I'm awesome. And you're going to, you need to remember that he gives you the power to get wealth. Don't believe the lie that we have provided for ourselves. Job, I want to read one more verse. He addresses both of these in one passage, and he addresses them as ending with the same iniquity. He says, if I do this or I do this, it's the same thing. If the end result is I'm denying God. And here it is. If I have made gold my hope or said to find gold, you are my confidence. That's 
The first one, we must provide for ourselves. My confidence, my security is in gold. If I have rejoiced because my wealth was great and because my hand had gained much, that's the second one. If I've really, you know, happy because I got enough saved up to take care of myself. This also would be an iniquity deserving of judgment for, for I would have denied God who is above. And so it's easy for us to deny God in little ways. We get to worry about these things, okay? So let's get to the correct attitude. What is the correct attitude towards money? Well, uh, in the big picture, very simply, it's that God is our provider. He uses, you know, you and jobs and things like that. But at the end of the day, God is our provider. And so we have to have that settled uh, in good times and in bad times. And so there's some things we need to know, uh, an attitude we need to bring with us to be able to walk in this. The first one is an attitude of contentment. Needs and wants. Wants and needs. How many of you have talked to your kids about that? I need this. Feels like you need that. You just want that. You really don't need that. Right? We all have to learn that in life. There are adult, uh, not just kids, I'm picking on kids, but adults are just as bad kids. We have just bigger needs. Our needs cost more. Our wants cost more. Right, we're worse. So, needs and wants. Right? So it's important that we establish that. And what we find in Scripture is there are remarkably few actual needs. In fact, there are two. Only two that I can find. Are you ready? Here's the rest of 1 Timothy 6. This is the first part before the part we read earlier. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into this world. That's how we start. And it is certain we can carry nothing out. That's how we end. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. What are your needs? Food and clothing. That's all God promises. Now, will he give you more than that? Absolutely. He gave us a house. We have a house. It's, you know, I have a car. I appreciate those things. But that's my point. Those aren't guaranteed. Food and clothing are guaranteed. God says, basically, eh, if you're naked and got nothing to eat, you can whine a little bit. Otherwise, I don't want to hear it. Right? Food and clothing. That's it. Contentment. That means that everything past that needs to be, we need to be content. And I would add, thankful. Uh, I, I made this bold. I don't have time to teach on this. Gary did a really good teaching on this in the last couple of years. He can probably look it up. But guys, thankfulness is a big deal. Thankfulness is a huge deal. We need to, we need to get this. That if we start with, hey, uh, Everything above food and clothing is something I need to be thankful for. That'll change the way you see life. Amen? And so we need to do that. We need to first just set our ambitions in the correct place. God is taking care of us. He's given us more than our basic needs. Everything else is a want. It's okay to have wants. But uh, we need to be thankful. And it's not okay to demand our wants. Right? We're not entitled to anything from God. Uh, but food and clothing, that's what he said he'd do, right? Not even a house. Okay, that's probably not politically correct. Now, the other thing is we have to set priorities. There, there is the attitude that God is our provider, that 
we have to come to that with thankfulness and with contentment. And then we also have to set priorities uh, as we're viewing things in our life on, on where they're going to go. And these have to do with money. These all come out of Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus spends a remarkable amount of time in the Sermon on the Mount talking about money, believe it or not. And so the first has to do with, uh, a cho- well, our priorities, these three priorities will all be choices. And these are choices you will not just make once. You will make these regularly throughout your life as you are confronted with temptation or with opportunity uh, or with circumstances that you don't know what to do. And you're going to have to make these choices. So let's make them clear what they are. The first choice is between heaven and earth. What's going to be more important to you? Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where neither thieves break in, or where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen? That's Jesus. So we kind of got to listen to that. So he says, uh, now again, let's qualify this. You can have a saving account. It's okay. I got one. Not a huge amount in there, but there's some in there. I'm ready if something small in my house breaks. All right. So, treasures on earth, treasures in heaven. Clearly, the priority that God is suggesting is that we choose to lay up treasures in heaven. We do that by investing in the things that are eternal. Uh, You do that every time you give to a missionary or spend time in prayer or whatever. Uh, Your time is a resource just like your money. And so um, we're storing up treasures in heaven, right? What I love about this is when we make these choices, God says this is a heart choice. Remember uh, he warned us through Timothy, or through Paul, talking to Timothy, uh, to not enter into the love of money. So he's saying where you put your treasure, that's where your heart will be. If If you put your treasure in stuff, that's where your heart will be. So he's going... Invest your treasure in the kingdom, and that's where your heart will be. That's where your love will be. So our resources, our, our money, our time, our, our thoughts, our prayers, all that stuff, we can intentionally invest. In fact, I tell people this. Uh, I've had people tell me, I'm in a really hard time getting along with this person. I'm praying for God to help me to like this person. But uh, usually I stop them there because then now they're fixing to tell me why they don't like them. And I'm like, don't, then I won't like him, so just, let's just stop. <laughs> right? I got enough people I don't like that I got to work on. I don't need yours. But here's what I tell them. I go, do you really, really want to love them? Yeah, I'm praying for God to give me love for them. I go, invest in them. Give them some money. Spend time praying for them. Uh, give them a gift. Because where your treasure is, your heart will be. Isn't that simple? Have you found that people you invest your time or your resources or your riches in, you care about more? I mean, even if it's just somebody you read about in the news and you go, oh, that's terrible, and you go into their GoFundMe and send them some money, now you're checking to see how they're doing, right? Where we invest our treasure, that's where our heart goes. And so God's saying first priority is make sure that it's more about heaven and the kingdom of heaven than it is about earth. Second priority, uh, or second choice in our priorities, is are we going to walk by faith 
or are we going to find security in our money? See, walking by faith means your security is in God, who doesn't always tell you where you're walking, when you're going to get there, and how hard it's going to be until then, right? And so walking by faith may not feel secure, even though it's the most secure thing we can do. And there will be temptation to find our security in what we can do and our resources and things like that. And so, again, in Matthew 6, Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You're going to have to make a choice. One of them's going to master you. You're going to have to pick. And so, serving God means walking by faith. Serving money means everything I need to be secure. Oh, sure, I believe in prayer, but I really don't need to because i got everything I need to be secure. Right? And when, uh, and when I have an issue that I can't solve, I do math. I don't do prayer. Right? Or I take a loan. Or I get another credit card. Wouldn't do that, right? Okay. Man, every once in a while it gets quiet. All right. So, here's what's going on. The first one, he talks in the context of love. Remember 1 Timothy, don't love money. He's going, you're going to love money or me. The second one is talking about value. You kind of have to look at the Greek a little bit. He's basically saying you're going to value money or me. Some of us try and split the difference. God, I love you, but I really value money. Says, no, no, no. Uh, you need to love me and value your relationship with me over your relationship with money. You need to lean more into that relationship for your security than your relationship with money. Money is a tool. God is our security. Amen? So, uh, all right, let's go on. Enough? Feel like we had enough on that one? Yes. All right, good. Number three, other choice we're going to have to make as we're pursuing right priorities is whether it is more important or a higher priority to pursue righteousness or comfort. Sometimes those are in conflict. Sometimes pursuing righteousness is not comfortable. And sometimes pursuing comfort is not righteous. And when they're in conflict, as will happen in life, what are we going to do? Uh, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 6. I'm going to read verse 25 and skip down to the end because the middle part's there's a lot of talk about how he takes care of flowers and birds. Um, so we'll just, for the sake of time, move on. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. What are the two needs? Food and clothing. There they are again. He says, don't worry about those. And then he ends it with, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So what he's saying there is, uh, if you worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink, well, you're going to worry. He says, if you just seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, I'll worry about what you're going to eat and drink. I'll take care of it. It'll happen. He knows what you need. He says, I got that. 
You don't have to worry about that. You just worry about pursuing my kingdom and my righteousness, and all that will automatically happen, right? And then he goes on, and he says, and don't worry about the future. Don't worry about tomorrow. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about its own things. Now, this does not mean we don't plan. Again, hear me, young people. Get a savings account. Do some retirement. If your employer matches your retirement, that's free money. Do that. We plan. Rachel and I have a retirement account. I'm confident that we could retire and survive pretty comfortably for probably five or eight years. Um, <laughs> so we're not quite ready to retire. But at any point, I'm not saying don't plan, don't save. I'm saying the issue is worry. And here's what I mean by that. That retirement account, uh, I'm hoping will be there in 10 or 15 years when I need it, there is absolutely no guarantee. In fact, I, I've said that several times with Rachel. As you know, as we're sending this off monthly, uh, that this could zero out. The way our government's printing money, it wouldn't even surprise me. It could be 1929 again. All of it could be gone. I'm not going to worry about it. I'll deal with that then. We'll see what happens. I might, have, I might have retirement, I might not. I might have Social Security, I might not. I don't care. Because God will make sure uh, that he'll feed me and clothe me, and then I have to be content. He'll probably do more than that. Probably, give me, probably still give me a place to live. Probably keep me warm and stuff like that. You understand what I'm saying? And so we have to decide where our priorities are going to be. And while we plan for the future, there's no point in worrying about the future. You know what's going to happen. That's what he's saying. So we're leaning into trusting in him, having our security in him, and not in the uncertain economies of this earth and our bank accounts. Amen? So the next thing I want to talk about as we're talking about having the right attitude is that this is a partnership. Faith and works are being combined in terms of money. In other words, um, do, you, do we pray? Absolutely. Do you pray for a raise? Do you pray for God to bless you? Do you pray for uh, increase? Absolutely. Is that all you need to do? Just name it and claim it and it'll happen? No. There are actions that need to take place. Faith and works working together. There are principles that are in play uh, for this to work. So one, God is generous. Two, there are principles in play for accessing his generosity. Let's talk about the first one, God is generous. I love in 1 Timothy 6, 17, uh, Paul says this about God being generous. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. God gives to you richly. Why? So you'll make sure you spend every little bit of it on the kingdom? Some of it's just to enjoy. He, get, he just likes when you enjoy stuff. That's the kind of God he is. He's a generous God who will just give you money and let you enjoy it. Take your kids to Disney or something like that. And he'll think it's fun. Now, while gives you richly so you can enjoy. Now, 
uh, we can get carried away. God told the rich young ruler to go sell everything. But that's because God was calling the rich young ruler to be a disciple. He said, go sell everything and follow me, right? It isn't like all of us don't have to do that. We went through that whole monastic period where anybody, you know, the clergy had to be poor. Um, I'm personally, just so you know, I'm not for that. Uh, I don't mind. I don't mind having a car. Uh, anyway, um, the point being, he didn't say, don't be rich. He said, don't trust in uncertain riches. Command the wealthy. He didn't say, command the wealthy to give all their money to you and be poor like everybody else, which is, because you can make a joke about the government, but I won't. Um, <laughs> the, uh, what he said was don't trust in uncertain riches. Recognize that God gave you those, and God has some saying what you do with it. And it's uh, that we are to uh, richly enjoy the things God's given us. Again, I have a story for this. It's a good example. It has to do with shoes, and it's very old. Um, because I was thinking about buying a pair of good basketball shoes, and I remember my spending limit at that time was like 50 bucks. So that's how old it was. They cost at least four times that now. Um, I think it was back when we were playing in the basketball league with Jim Bartholomew. It's really old because that's when I could run. Right, Jim? Long time ago. All right. Uh, anyway, I'm in the store, and I'm, I'm looking. I really like these shoes. I found a pair I really like, but I've gone into the store going, I don't want to spend more than $50 because uh, I was a youth pastor, and, and they do have to be poor. So, uh, no, just kidding. Um, so I'm, I'm looking at the shoes, and I find a pair I like, I think it's 75 or 80 bucks, and I'm going, wow, that's well over my limit. But I really like them. And I'm thinking about it. And so I just, on a whim, it occurred to me, maybe I'll involve God in this decision. Yeah, sometimes that's a good idea. And so uh, I'm like, all right, God, what do you think? As I'm standing there looking at these shoes I really want and, I, and I'm really going to enjoy uh, playing basketball in. And here's what he said. And it was, it, he turned it into a lesson. He, go, he goes, go ahead, I can afford it. And all of a sudden I went, oh, it's not my budget, it's his budget. What was he trying to tell me there? I was limiting myself to my math. And God was going, God was reminding me, one, uh, it's all mine, and I'll take care of it. And two, I actually am enjoying what you're enjoying. Right? So I had a revelation that God enjoys me enjoying buying basketball shoes. Rachel, oddly enough, has had this understanding <laughs> apparently intuitively for her entire life. <laughs> yeah, but I had to have a revelation that God enjoys me buying shoes. There you go. So, you know. Anyway, you get my point. God gives us richly all things to enjoy. He loves blessing. He is a generous God. We don't have to worry about that. But we do have to worry about the principles that are in play for accessing his generosity. Now, I'm going to cover one of those principles today, and then we'll cover some more next week. Um, the first one, 
Uh, and this is just good. I, I'm just going to call it work ethic. It's a biblical concept, having a work ethic. Uh, we used to, you know, when you're, if, you know, my parents grew up in the Depression, so we grew up learning about work ethics, right? So, I mean, a lot of you guys, your parents taught you about a work ethic. Good. So the Bible teaches us about it too, and it's an attitude. Understand it's an attitude, not just uh, here's what you do thing. Uh, it's an attitude you adopt towards work, and it's a two-part attitude. The first part is you actually value work. It's not something that you just have to do and, and whine about, even though it's fun to whine about. Uh, you value it. Proverbs 6, and this is where it comes into these principles, because God does want to bless you. But we still have Proverbs 6, 6 to 11. Go to the ant, you sluggard. That means really lazy guy. Uh, consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. See, ants plan ahead. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When you rise from your sleep, or when will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come upon you like a prowler, and your need like an armed man. Does God want to be generous to you and bless you? Yes. If you're lazy, are you going to be poor? Yes. Any questions? Bam. Pretty simple. Now, in case you want to overlook the Old Testament, uh, Paul deals with this when he's writing to the Thessalonians because they had some guys that were just hanging out. Uh, I guess when you went to Thessalonica, there was just you know a couple of young guys there in the corner of the street with a cardboard sign. So... Uh, I don't know. Again, am I being politically incorrect again? I hate when that happens. For even when we were there with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Bam. All right, now, there are real reasons that people can't work, and there are times when we need to feed people. But uh, not everybody who... Uh, is asking for help, can't work. So, uh, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now, those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. So, Paul's saying, command and exhort them, get a job. There you go. That's a condition for the blessing of God. And so we have to value work. It has to be a real thing. Again, I get it that uh, sometimes people, people can't work. Sometimes uh, there are reasons people are genuinely poor and they, they can't do anything about it. We, we, you know, and the church has some responsibility to help in those situations. We have a food pantry every week and people come and get help and we like doing that. But it's not primarily what the church is called to. So if you look at Luke 4, 18, remember um, the apostles uh, talked about remembering the poor. It's important to remember the poor, right? And we've, because I think we like things simple, we've uh, equated remembering the poor to giving the poor money. And that's never what the gospel said. In Luke 4, 18, Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Now, 
I don't have a problem with giving poor people money. We do that sometimes. We've done it as individuals. You guys do it. Part of just being generous. But our calling as a church is not to just feed poor people and give them money. Our calling is to preach the good news to them so they don't have to be poor. So they can experience the blessings of the Lord like you and I are. You understand. So we have to understand these things, these attitudes. And so uh, we have to value work. We have to teach people around us. I will do a lot more to help someone who's trying than to help someone who's just wanting me to help them not try. Right? All right, probably enough of that. Okay. Here's the second one. This is the harder one. Are you ready? Work ethic. One, value work. Two, value your employer. Dun, dun, dun. Colossians 3, 23, 22 and 23. Bond servants, here we'll just insert employer, okay? Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. And then in the next verse, it goes on and talks about because it's God who's going to reward you. It's not really your employer who is rewarding you. It's God who is rewarding you through your employer. So you should appreciate that and see that it's from God. And what he's saying here is we should work for that person like we were working for God. Do a good job. Show up on time. doesn't mean, uh, you know, you just do whatever you're told and not have a dispute. But if you have a dispute, you dispute the right way. You do it with respect. Those types of things. This is a work ethic. This is a biblical work ethic. We value work and we value our employer. We are thankful that we have the opportunity to earn income. And we want to work not just uh, to the, as men pleasers, just the minimum we can to get by and not get fired. Uh, we want to work like we're doing it for God. We want to do a good job. Maybe even do a little extra. Right? Are you with me? All right. And so uh, this informs us. And uh, again, I believe this is in part at least a condition to the principles for accessing uh, God's blessing. God will bless you if you do this. Uh, one thing, I've, I've talked to people who uh, are hiring people, and they're, they're just, nowadays, it's weird. They're excited. Uh, you come in and go, hey, I'm going to show up on time. I'm going to do what I'm told. I'm not going to cause problems. I'm going to try and learn and do a good job, and, uh, and I'll be here for a while. I'll be faithful. If, if I need to change jobs, I'll let you know way ahead of time. And, the, and, and employers are going, who are you? <laughs> we can't even get people to call in and tell us they're not going to show up. Right? That's, how our, <laughs> that's where our culture's gone to. How awesome would it be to stand out and for employers to start going, hey, psst, I know, you know, they're no fun at the Christmas party, but hire these Christians. They show up. Amen. They do what they're told. They don't get in arguments. They're respectful. They don't punch people when they're mad. Okay. Do <laughs> so you understand what I'm saying? So, guys, I'm telling you, it's important that we develop an attitude that God can bless. 
Because God wants to bless you. More than you want to be blessed, God wants to bless you. God enjoys blessing you. But we need to make sure that we have the right attitude about money so that we can handle it. And even more so in the days ahead as things get stranger. We should just be more Jesuser. All right? Probably don't quote that exactly that way. All right? All right. So let's do this. Uh, let's, just, let's just take a minute and pray. I think we'll just pray. How many of you want to increase? This is biblical. I'm not doing a, you know, I'm not fixing to sell you something. How many of you want to increase wealth without sorrow? Now, I'll leave wealth to a very broad definition. Wealth is just more than you have right now. Lord, we ask that. I, I can confidently pray for your church, knowing you want to bless them, supply all of their needs according to your riches and glory, and give them an abundance for every good work. Lord, I know you want to bless. I know there are people here who are doing okay. I know there are people here who are just doing it week to week, but loving you anyway. Lord, I just ask, bless your people. First of all, give them your heart of contentment and uh, just faith in you. And out of that, I pray you give them blessing. Lord, that there'd be raises, there'd be increases, there'd be uh, Lord, commissions, and uh, Lord, just unusual uh, blessings. However you want to do it. Lord, we ask that you would bless your people. Lord, more importantly, we say, whatever the numbers are, we are going to worship you and trust in you. You are our provider. You are our strength. Whatever comes, we are so excited that you don't change, that you are a rock that we can stand on and not be moved. Lord, there is so much freedom in not having to worry about our future because we're in you wherever we are. Lord, I just thank you. I pray you would send your people out with greater confidence, Lord, greater faith, uh, greater determination uh, to just be an example of Christ in everything and even in the way we handle our money and our jobs and all those things. Bless in the name of Jesus. Amen.